This is the Tactical Leader Podcast, where we're on a journey of self-mastery and true leadership. I believe that in order to lead others, you must first be able to lead yourself. And in order to lead yourself, you have to first know yourself. If you want to learn the tactics to get to know yourself, to lead yourself, and to lead others, stay tuned to hear from industry experts as I unpack the tactics that they've used to build their business, build culture, and lead others. Welcome, everybody. I'm John Nomi. My name is Zach Knight. I am the founder of Events Atlanta for Veterans, also the marketing chair for Event Atlanta. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about those two organizations this evening, and then obviously highlight this beautiful bald man to my right, who unfortunately is a Marine veteran, which we don't love talking about too much. Oh, Lord. We got others in the room. Terrible. But we do love our Marines, and if you're anything but Army or Marine Corps, Y'all in the room? Yeah, Air Force, Air Force, Navy. Y'all don't matter. Uh, <laughs> we appreciate y'all being here. We need warm bodies. It's great. But to give y'all just a quick rundown and expectations for this evening. Now, Kevin and I are going to talk for about 30, 45 minutes. We're going to have a little bit of Q&A if y'all are curious about some of the stuff he's doing. Tonight's really just about highlighting a local veteran making an impact. Uh, he's been a great mentor to me and uh, yanked a knot in my butt a few times, as is needed from some of those younger folks. So I admire the heck out of this guy. So we're going to have just a great conversation highlighting some of the stuff he's doing. If you notice, he has some books over here on the table. We're going to talk a little bit about his books, a, lot, a little bit about uh, some of the children's books that he's released here recently, which is always fascinating to hear. Marine trying to rock babies to sleep with war stories. Crayons. Uh, so it'll be in crayons. That's right. The coloring books are strong. <laughs> Military joke, y'all. There'll be a few of those laced throughout the evening. First and foremost, I do want to talk about Advancing Line for Vets. Who's been to an ATO Vets or a Vetland event before? All right. Who's not been to one before? That might be easier. Really, Jason, of all people who's been to like every one of them since. So Vetlanta is the, really the collaborative effort. I don't know if Lloyd is still at the bar. Did he swing back through? All right, so Lloyd's not in the room right now. He's grabbing a beverage, but Lloyd's the founder of Vetlanta. I'm the marketing chair. Kevin is the wise, sage old man on the board. It gives everybody guidance, and they started Vetland about 10 years ago. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about our next summit coming up, but we're really focused on being the collaborative point of Atlanta. Out of Atlanta was born Advancing Line for Veterans, where I founded an organization really focused on workforce development and entrepreneurship for veterans. Uh, what has come from that are monthly events. We have about 10 events a month from here to Tampa, DC, Virginia Beach. It's really focused on this, uh, bringing veterans into clubs like this, and the Buckhead Club and the Sister Clubs. Who in here is not a veteran? So y'all are the ones that make this worth it for us. I want to bring veterans into this space where we can commune with people that are business professionals and people that can help support veterans because without y'all, we aren't much more than just veterans, right? You'll help us transition. You'll help us learn new things outside of the military. So having y'all in the room is truly a blessing for us. So as we grow these events, I really encourage y'all, if you're not a veteran, non-veterans that would like to support the veteran community, invite them because these events are open to everybody. We have monthly workouts thanks to Taylor. Taylor is our movement piece. So if you ever want to do push-ups and you weren't in the military, she will make you do really good push-ups. She's the prettiest drill sergeant I've ever had. So I do appreciate her doing workouts and we have a hike coming up in a couple of weeks uh, where you can do a little bit of swim with a vet and come work out with us. So 
Uh, we have some amazing events coming. We'll talk a little bit about those uh, towards the end of the program. Uh, and I want to dive into introducing this man right here. He obviously a Marine. So let's give him a little bit of credit for the Marines. Can we give them a small round of applause? And who else is actually a Marine in the room? Or Marine spouse. Yes. We'll count Xavier. Hoorah. No purgatory for you. And a Marine sibling. So you can tell the Marine Corps, uh, they're small but mighty. Um, they show up with crayons and know how to take out large forces with them. But Kevin was in the Marines. I had a great corporate career with several different things here in Atlanta, UPS being one of them, where you met uh, Lloyd, I assume, is where y'all's connection first started. What the amazing thing about what Kevin and Lloyd did in the early days of Atlanta, anybody familiar with resource groups, business resource groups within corporations? Is anybody not familiar with the concept? So business resource groups, they're really focused on the DE&I effort and their veterans are a part of that. So a lot of local corporations, UPS, Coca-Cola, Delta, all got together in the early days. And Kevin was one of those initial uh, initiation pieces for veteran resource groups to come together and then form the Vetlanta. So he really believed that all these organizations were doing the same thing within the pillar of their organization. So UPS was doing the same thing as Delta, the same thing as Coca-Cola, but they weren't talking to each other. So one of his biggest endeavors over the last decade has been making all of those organizations actually have a conversation together and bring those veteran resource groups into one room and have that conversation about how do we further veterans' voices in Atlanta. Uh, so 10 years later, we're celebrating the 10th year of Atlanta in February. Um, huge endeavor that's been a, a big piece and a big blessing for Atlanta. Fast forward, he's now retired. 18 or 19 grandkids, I believe. <laughs> Seven, uh, two, and two more this year. So he's got quite a big family that has been working on it. Beyond the books that we have that we're going to talk a little bit about, he also started delving into children's books with your daughter, I believe. No, my, my sister-in-law. Sister-in-law, excuse me. Doing a family affair, diving into children's books, which I think is really fascinating. While I'm going to interrupt the program for a second, Miguel, Fuel wave. Miguel is the food and beverage manager and essentially the GM aficionado. So I, I wanted to pause real quick. Sorry, Kevin. Miguel is the reason we're here tonight. He's the one that does all the food. He manages all the things. Can we give him a quick round of applause? Thank you. And he also keeps trying to steal Taylor to do salsa. So if you need salsa lessons, ladies, Miguel is the guy. But back to Kevin, we, we want to dive into a few things about the books and some of those ventures. I want to start off just beyond the short bio I gave, what's something fun we might not know about you that you want to share with the audience? Thank you and good night. <laughs> uh, thanks so much. I can't express my gratitude to Zach for the invitation. It's very generous and I, this is a great showing for me. I've had talks about my books with 150 people in a room, and I did a talk once for one person. All right, I, you gotta do the whole thing, right? So you do the but I'm not gonna do the whole thing because we don't have that kind of time, but thank you. And the one thing that would have surprised people who didn't know about my most recent work is I like poetry. Well, it sounds really weird, but I, I dig it. All rock mu music is based on p poetry and the same three or four chords. I'm a Chuck Berry junkie, so that all that, Chuck, Chuck Berry. <laughs> He's the guy that the Beatles ripped off. Got it. Got right? it. Good. So anyway, I'm just going to hijack 
And I guess I'm sitting here because of the generosity of friends. Zach and Taylor, of course, Lloyd, we've gone back a ways. I, let me go back to the beginning of sorts. I'm a son of New Jersey, very proud of that, and I was very happy to get out of there. My wife and I met at a small college you may have heard about called St. Bonaventure University, the Bonnies, and we've been married 42 years. This is where everybody says, no, stop. You look too young. All right. Uh, it ha always happens. It always happens with my wife. They look at her and it's like, why are you married to a fat, bald guy? Anyway. So I got out of college in 1979, and I see that we have a couple seniors here that remember those times. In 1979, uh, Jimmy Carter was pregnant. I was actually at Marine Corps OCS in Quantico, and, and I got there October 15th. On November the 4th, the Iranians took over the U.S. Embassy in Tehran. All right, And it went from Marine Corps general stupidity, which is screaming and push-ups, and one out of jail, you can only do so many push-ups, right? You, you can only do so many, and they can't eat you. So it went, to, it went to DEFCON 4, like, immediately, and it went just crazy. So we thought we were going to Iran. By the time I was commissioned, a couple days before Christmas, we all thought we were going. And we were gung-ho. We were ready to do it. We thought we, were, we said we're going to meet 10 years from now in the Tehran Hilton. All right? And remember, that was 1980, at the beginning of 80, and, 19, and here we are in 2023, and... Those dirt balls are trying to kill everybody right now through proxies, which is awful. Anyway, I only did a five-year stint in the Marine Corps. I was an infantry officer. I was uh, nothing special. I was never shot at. I was blessed, and I call it the great privilege of my life, and I mean that. But it was not for me. How many people served and did not do 20? Anybody? Because you figure at some point you say, I'm not doing this anymore. You just decide, that's enough. I've done it. So... I got out of the Marine Corps, my wife and two babies at this point in time, move into my in-law's basement. And I started law school and working at UPS loading trucks, excuse me, in Spring Valley, New York on the same day. So I did night law school between the VA VEEP program at the time, if those of you people with gray hair or no hair remember what VEEP was, and then and a combination of Pell Grants and the like, essence, it was paid for me. So I was picking up golden tickets all along the way. So I worked at UPS for 33 years. I bounced around the country working with managing facilities, managing operations, mostly managing engineering groups. I have a degree in English literature, by the way, know nothing about engineering. But I learned some things about managing people in the Marine Corps, okay? Tact was not high up on the list, but it was something you acquire after a certain period of time. You do have to say please and thank you to people in the civilian world. So I, retired from UPS. Now, during that last seven years, I spent seven years, I only worked seven years as an attorney at UPS. Most of the time I was out in the field. Like we relocated six times, coast to coast. And that was a great privilege too. UPS, like most big companies, have really excellent programs that keep you financially solvent when you relocate, when you take these assignments. And I'll tell you what, I did not get promoted 16 times. I got promoted once. All my moves were lateral. They were all sideways. They were great opportunities. We had four kids, all right? There was a lot of silence at the dinner table. There was a lot of screaming at the dinner table. And those of you who have done your 20 and moved kids around with you, you know what that's like. 
but now they laugh about it, they joke about it, and they say, gee, we're sorry, we were jerks about it. And I was like, yeah, that's okay. Your mother has been in analysis for 20 years. Don't worry about that. Um, so it was time to retire from UPS. Another beautiful, I retired at 59 years old. I don't have two homes, I don't have boats, and we don't go first class everywhere we go. But what we have is no debt which is a very important thing. So if you take anything at all away from this conversation, when you get into your 50s, that's your goal. No matter what you got going on, you just don't want to have any debt. And you can see what's going on with interest rates now and all that good stuff. It's just, it's insane. I brag a little bit. I have do something to brag about. Uh, our oldest son, girl, boy, those are our kids. My oldest son, I had him lined up for the Naval Academy. This is back in 2001 and two, okay? I had him lined up for the Naval Academy, and he starts yelling at me in the car one day. We're driving along to go to the, the dental appointment or something, because there's a bunch of appointments involved with that stuff. Uh, and he starts yelling, Dad, pull a car over, pull a car over. So I yanked the wheel, pull a car over, and I was like, what's wrong? And he goes, I can't do this. This is your ambition for me. It's not my ambition for me, and I don't want to... Grenade! No. I don't want to... I don't want to go to the Naval Academy. I want to have fun, which drink beer, smoke dope, chase girls, and not worry about what time you come in at night. I guess that's what really college is all about. Not me. I was in a library every night. Um, we believe that. The, so he goes to a college called William and Mary, which is it's a faux Ivy school. Actually, it's better than Ivy school nowadays, right? He went to William and Mary. It's a chemistry math major. I said, here's my doctor. All right. So he's senior year. I paid for MCATs, paid for all this stuff. He skipped the test. I had already paid for it. And you know what he says to me? Dad, I'm joining the Marine Corps. <laughs> I never liked that kid. He didn't join the Marine Corps. He actually went to a couple of recruiters and the Navy people said, you qualify for flight training. Now I thought that was hilarious. The kid never had an inkling to fly. He went in the Navy, he did well, all that stuff. He, he became an F-18E pilot. He was a Top Gun instructor for three years. He was, he was a cowboy. Fire coming out of his butt in his ears, and that was it. He loved it. He loved it till he didn't. He reached a point in time, it was about year 13. He married a girl, I'm qualifying, a, a ring knocker from the Naval Academy, ironically, who was also a pilot. And now they have one kid and one on the way. So I brag about them but I still don't like them very much. <laughs> cost me about, now this is going back, college then only cost about 25 grand a year at, a, at an out-of-state school. So it cost me about 100 some odd large. Now, same school, can't do it, can't do it. Okay, so that's my story. Can I talk about the books or do you wanna ask a dumb que uh, question? I definitely have a lot of dumb questions to follow up on. And before we dive into the books, I wanna highlight uh, a couple pieces about the family. Uh, as veterans, we know the moving around and how difficult it is to balance the uh, work-life piece. As How many people are entrepreneurs, business owners in here as well? Usually we have a pretty good amount of that. Similar in entrepreneurship, business owner space. Uh, in the corporate space, how many folks have moved around, Kevin did, where you're moving a ton? It's a big piece of trying to figure out how do you manage family, marriage, kids, whether or not they're yelling at you and throwing food at you at the dinner table. It sounds like the cafeteria based honestly uh, probably used to it but uh, talk a little bit about that piece how do you manage to obviously have a successful marriage for so many years but also raise uh, except for the kid you don't like raise some pretty good kids i um 
Let's just say if being a Marine officer was a privilege of my life, the honor of my life was being a husband and father. And I think there was a, as I'm stalling, trying to come up with an answer for you, there was a, a book written or a graduation speech recently that what's the best thing that you can do if you want to have, be a happy person when you get out of college. And the guy got up there and he said, well, get married and start a family. Now, I know that sounds really corny. It, it is. Uh, but that's the thing that has made me happy. I hope it's made my kids happy. We had, we bribed some of the kids. We had very high expectations for all of them. They all made college in four years. That was a condition, right? The faith piece without me proselytizing, my wife and I are daily communicants. The kids aren't, but that's not the point. We just, the, the point of being a parent is to set an example and point the way. After that, there's nothing else you could do. Even the greatest parents, kids will go sideways if they have the bad influence. So I think we were fortunate that we stayed all over them <laughs> with different things. My wife read all the diaries. She did. Ladies, if you think your mom didn't read your diary, you're mistaken. All right. So we were on top of stuff. We, were on, we didn't do sleepovers. That's one thing we just never did. And this is not the time or place. I got some hilarious sleepover stories about me coming to the sleepover that they thought they were staying at, but I'm not going to get into that. A lot of luck. A lot of dumb luck. We moved to great places too. Anybody here? Pittsburgh? Anybody? Okay. Syracuse? New York? Okay. San Francisco? Uh, the Bay Area? San Ramon? Oakland? That area? All right. Columbia, South Carolina? There's, there, look, they're good places to have a family for a couple of years, especially if you know you're a gypsy. So my suggestion, if somebody says, we would like you to move somewhere because we think it's good for your career, I would take that, take the advice of someone who cares about you and that thinks you have the chops to go ahead and do it. Yeah, take the risk, roll the dice, all right? You'll always wonder, what if I had not done it? So that's, and my kids are doing that now too, except when they move back in with us, which just happened. Was it at least the kid you liked? Yeah, I'll give, I'll give them that. All right. So obviously in conversations we've had, you're, you're very well read, very well studied, for especially for a Marine. Um, I, <laughs> no jab. I'm a little tired of In order to then further that, as we have a few, who else has offered a book in here? Has anybody gone that? I know Lloyd has, I did last year. You did. Mitch, authoring a book is not something that you really dive into is, oh, this is going to be fun and exciting. Or if you do start that way, usually ends up like, oh, I'm never doing it again, which is where my mind went. And obviously you're several books in. What inspired you to start with the first book to get that going? Was it from reading other books or did you get bored in retirement? You get yelled at by the wife to get out of the house, <laughs> busy, something along those lines? No, I actually wrote two of them, but my first two books I wrote while I was still working because I felt compelled to. I was an English major, so I read everything. I read cereal boxes. I was reading the microphone before. And I, I guess I just wanted to do it. I thought I could. It's not because I'm especially talented at it. How many people golf here, golfers? All right, you spend a lot of money golfing, right? It's your hobby, right? Do you ever win any money doing it? Not really, okay? I'm, a, I'm golfing with a pen. It's my hobby, as long as none of you work with the IRS. If you work with the IRS, it's the diligent business and all the, all the write-offs are, are legit. I'll give you a, a short story long. My sister passed away, my younger sister passed away Christmas Eve of 2011, not or anything like that. It, she, it was a long, slow 
trip and it was probably okay for her. So it's Christmas Eve, the first week in January, we're having the services up in New Jersey. Uh, she left, her husband had predeceased her and young, 52 years old. And she had two daughters and a, a small circle of friends. And one of the friends, a kid I grew up with on our block came up to me in 2011, I'm 13, 14 years younger, 12 years younger, whatever than I am now, I'm 66, came up to me and he th thrust some paper in my hand. And I'm like, it was Jimmy Zinsmeister. He played second base on our little league team. Good guy. He teaches high school history right now. He thrusts in my hands, but he looked bad. He looked haggard. Eyes were bloodshot. He hadn't shaved in a couple of days. And this is a good friend. And he had been on a bit of a bender. He had written several short vignettes of his life, his growing up, a story about him and my sister. I took him home and I read it and they were wonderful. They were beautiful. They were well composed, diction, syntax, mechanics, spelling, perfect. So he had them and he was saving them and he was getting up the courage to give it to somebody, anybody, because he hadn't given it to anybody. I read them and I said, Jimmy Zinsmeister could do this, I can do it. And hand to God, a week later, I woke up at four o'clock in the morning. I was reading Bruce Catton's work, A Stillness at Appomattox. And somewhere about two thirds in, Catton talks about the Veterans Reserve Corps. The Union Army had an entire regiments, up to 50,000 soldiers at its peak, who were invalids, amputations, neck problems, leg problems that could not, couldn't even hold up a weapon, serving in uniform. Remember, the, the person of the day, the soldier of the day, could not go back to farming or whatever they were working in a mill. They had to eat, so they stayed in uniform. The Union Army had these people work as orderlies, work as guards, work as band was big, and most of it was in and around D.C. So Bruce Catton mentioned the sick, the 18th, excuse me, the 18th Regiment, and I did a little research on the 18th Regiment, and there's a ton of information on this, and I said, I can weave a story around this. So I took the actual regiment, their actual movements, and I just made up characters. Now, like I said, it's fun. I just do it. It's fiction, right? But it's historical fiction. It's based on fact. And I'll give you a tip. If anybody's interested in writing fiction, if you don't know what to do with a character and you'll always walk up to a wall or a corner somewhere, you just kill them. That's, it's so easy, okay? And that's what I did. I probably killed too many people. I had a screenwriter. <laughs> screenwriter told me, like, people, they need to feel good at the end of the book. They don't want to, they don't want to go out and kill themselves after reading a book. But that was the first one. And, uh, and I, I dug it. I liked it. Now, Barnes & Noble at the time, if you're interested in selling your book, Barnes & Noble at the time used to allow me to come in. They would order the book. I would sell the book. They would get 40% plus their cost, which left me with $3 in royalties. Now, at $3 in royalty, you'd say, well, that's not even worth your time standing in a store trying to sell a book. Absolutely worth your time because I give half of the money away. It doesn't matter. God bless you. It doesn't matter. I'm not trying to make money here. If I had to make money by writing books, I would not be this beautiful physical specimen before you now. All right. I'd be a whole lot skinnier, but I don't. So I do it. It's just fun. The second book, the book I have up here, March of the Orphans, is about, oh, yeah. And we're in Georgia, right? So I'm selling a book about the Northern Army. And I have nice little old ladies coming up to me, and she goes, you mean the war of northern aggression? Okay, uh, yeah, okay, lady, whatever, it floats your boat. So I said, well, I can write one that's positive, I think, about the war fighting. And that one's about the Battle of Stones River. It's one of the costliest battles of the Civil War, and I really like it. I have an endorsement from the historian park ranger at 
the Battle of Stones River up in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. So that's like gold. So I wrote that one. Then I wrote a suspense novel. That's over there. After a short hiatus, I had a bunch of shorts. Uh, one, one thing I tell you about fiction, you don't have to start at the beginning, right? You don't want to do time travel, but you can start with something that piques your interest. Okay. And that night that I woke up at four o'clock in the morning with the Bruce Catton in my mind, I wrote out a sentence outline. And from that, a year later, I published a book. It's really that easy. Now, is it a perfect book? No, they're not perfect. They're okay. They're fine. You knock out my books. They're 60,000 words. Knock them out in two afternoons. Okay. And maybe three if you take a nap in between. All right. But that's the beauty of it. Plus, I'm giving half my money away. It doesn't matter to me. If you look on my website, and I encourage you to do it, look on my website, you'll see all the organizations that I give to. And I vet them, just like ATL vets their people, just like Vetlanta vets their people, to make sure you give them to the right organization. I, can I sidestep on this just a little? All right. All of us are involved with veteran 501c3s to some degree, whether we're actually in charge of it or we are involved, okay? <clears throat> time, talent, treasure, whatever. Here's the problem with the veteran 501c3 space. You probably know this, right? There's over 60,000 veteran charity groups out there, 60,000, all right? Now, many of them started off at the kitchen table as a great idea, passionate, an overused word, passionate, all right? And then it has to turn into a bit of a, a business, and then it, they have to go and go beg for money, and then it turns into a racket. Right? A lot of these organizations are not worth your time, let alone your money. I encourage you, the best thing to do is get the name of the organization. Two, two things to do. You go to Charity Navigator. If they make more than a million dollars, they'll tell you what's going on with the money. And they rate them and they rank them. All right? That's number one. The second one is called the Form 990. I know more about the IRS than I should. They're vampires. All right? But I, I might be the only person in this room that actually has an apology letter from the IRS. Yes, I do, and it's mounted in my little home office. <laughs> All right, so I love taking people to that. So you wanna make sure you check that 990 and you're looking at, it's two page document, it's not tough to decipher. You're looking at how much are they come, bring it in and how much are they spending on their overhead? That's what you're looking for. Anybody that spends more than 20% on their overhead and not going direct to client services, you really don't want to be involved with them. So the ones that I have are good ones. All right, they're good ones. You don't want to give, look, you don't want to give $100 to an organization and then they go out and they buy chairs for their office, which is what happens. They got to pay staff and all that kind of good stuff, but do, do your homework, please, on that. The one other thing I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to mention, when I, I coach, counsel, mentor, whatever we all do with this ACP and Hire Heroes, and I get somebody every other month. Some people I've been, I still talk with after eight years. Some people, one phone call was all it took and they didn't want to talk to me or I didn't want to talk to them. With people who are new, there's a couple of things you have to understand. First is you don't want to mock people or a company at their, when you're interviewing, right? And that, that's a problem because you're coming out of the service. You think you've seen it all. You may have been under fire. You were certainly downrange at some point and they're talking about the chairs don't match in the conference room. It's a crisis. You can't burst out laughing. You just can't. You want to, but you can't. All right. The second thing, and it's very important. I guess one of the first things that I do ask people is, where do you want to be? 
And the answer, and nine times out of 10, I get, doesn't matter anywhere. I was like, stop. It does matter. You married? Yes. You did your 20? Yes. You moved your wife all over? Yes. You better ask her where she wants to be if you want to be happy. Right? The money doesn't matter. You can load trucks in the middle of the night if you need to. Find out where your family needs to be. And w within the smart people, I think, within about 30 seconds, they realize, well, we want to be in, want to be in Atlanta. We want to be in Atlanta. So that's great. That makes things so much easier because you need to take care of that. Where do we need to be? I'm going to ask now. I'm going to ask now. Get it out of the way. <laughs> I have witnesses. Joke aside, great piece of it attached to uh, that better transition and a big piece of giving passion back in the community. And you don't have them up here because I know they're very recently published. I do want to touch on the children's books. Okay. And a little bit more of a passion piece, even more passion piece, where you released a couple children's books. And if y'all haven't gathered, Kevin here might be a little bit gruff and it might be a little bit of a Marine. So to see Grandpa Kevin over here come out with children's books, I'm curious what inspired those and tell us a little bit about. Uh, I had the poetry I was trying to write. <laughs> I could not find the right meter to it. I couldn't find the right rhymes. And it's easy to find rhymes. It, it, it is. You, you, you got to work a little bit at it, but you got you to get the meter right. I couldn't get it right. There was one, I had one poem called Kisses on Glass. And the more I tried to get things to rhyme, I only came up with one rhyme. And I wasn't going to use that. <laughs> so by accident, my sister-in-law, my brother's wife, my brother's less than a year younger than me, were Irish twins, much to my mother, late mother's great shame. His, you know what an Irish twin is? Less than a year. Okay, that's, I usually get a good laugh line. All right. She started doing watercolors, birds and animals and things like that. She said, why don't we just prose it, make it a kid's book, and we'll take it from there. Now, I'm retired. I'm on a fixed income. <laughs> I wanted to uh, keep the cost at a minimum. So if you're thinking of writing, I got a couple of suggestions for you. First of all, my publisher is Zulon. It's part of Salem Publishing. Yes, I pay them and they take care of everything else for me. All right. But KDP, Kindle Direct Publishing, which is with uh, Amazon, uh, they have a service that you don't talk to a human being. You do it all on your own. It takes a little bit of work and you upload everything and they put it up. And initially I did it electronically because I was testing the waters. So three short children's books we did electronically this year. We were fooling around. We were horsing around with it. My sister-in-law said, we got to put this in a paperback form because kids, some kids read tablets, but most of them were trying to get them to read books and eat the paper and all that other stuff that comes with being a little kid. Still through Amazon, still without costing money. The only thing I did was I got them copyrighted. And I went through LegalZoom and it cost me a buck 75 for each one of the stories. But that's worth doing, right? So we, we put that, we bound that together. Now that's only available through Amazon, right? I have a couple author copies there for family. We just, we can't pass them out. The, my current book, which is called Bed Bug Stew, which is that, the blue thing there. And I want to say, because even though I have a lot of friends here who have bought the book, and I know Don, they haven't read it yet, so I'm going to tell you a, a, the reason what's going on with it. That's not a children's book. That's uh, short stories and poems I've written over the last couple of years that I was going to use to jumpstart novels, and they just never got anywhere with it. So I figured I'll cut it off and make it a short story. It also, about 20% of it is, and that's all fiction, about 20% of it is my 
personal experience at the New York Yankee men's fantasy baseball camp in Tampa, Florida, a year ago, like today. My kid brother and I. <laughs> so I remember him going through this. And this very svelte athletic man to my right, um, I think there was two or three texts each day talking about your back hurt. There wasn't enough Advil in, in the state of Florida, something along those lines. So that might be a story worth reading and hearing about. It's humiliating. I can't discuss it in an open group like this. I, I actually included it in a book of fiction because what the heck, it's my book. I, I, I published that book. I didn't have to pay anything. I'd won a contest for a story. So like, this is really cool. So I didn't have to, I didn't have to do anything. And I was encouraged by a couple of people, Lloyd among them, that said, listen, we don't like your stories. We don't like your, I have a blog too. Nobody reads that. I have a podcast. Nobody listens. Don't worry about it. It's, it's okay. You're in a good group. You're part of the majority. He goes, but we like the baseball stuff. So I put the baseball stuff in completely incongruent to the material before it. But I want to tell you about bed bug stew. This is very important. I say the words bed bug stew and have almost every day and certainly every time I hear the national anthem since I was five or six years old. When we were kids, my father, who, by the way, was a, a Marine, he served in Korea. He was nuts. Uh, he, he taught us a little ditty that we sang. and We had to sing it at the top of our lungs. Of course, after we sang the Marine Corps hymn, we sang this one. And it goes something like this. Oh, say, can you see any bed bugs on me? If you do, pick a few and we'll have bug stew. Now, try to get that out of your mind. <laughs> just try. You will be out yelling it, shouting it at the top of your lungs in the car. Just do it once for me. So that's what that book is, Bed Bug Stew. I have to say that's an homage to my father. Um, and uh, well, there you have it. That's it. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. I hope I didn't answer your question. Not even a little bit. Okay. As we wrap up on this piece, uh, I want to give everybody a little bit of time to continue your network and actually talk to Kevin a little bit more. Um, can you give us a, a parting piece for the vets in the room? Um, just something, I, I cringe when I say this in reference to you, but something inspirational that you've learned from your journey along the way? If I, again, and I'll give advice all day long, it's free, unsolicited certainly, but if your boss or your peers think that you are capable of doing something, that you have the chops for it, you have the experience for it, you have the drive for it, don't take yourself out of that loop, all right? If your boss thinks you're good enough, you're good enough, all right? Live up to that person's expectation. I, you won't regret it. You simply won't regret it. I love that. Give him a round of applause, y'all. So real quick before I leave, okay. um, a couple of things I just wanted to highlight real quick for future things coming up. If my here still works, beautiful. Um, so a couple of coming events, our events calendar is on the QR code if you want to see upcoming events. A couple I wanted to highlight, I mentioned the Atlantic Q1 Summit. We have it at Dobbins Air Force Base. The National Guard is sponsoring that. So we have focused on veteran employment. So I wanted to highlight that piece if there are any veterans that you may know that are looking to get employed. Last time we had it at uh, Dobbins, I think we had 15 or 20 get hired on the floor yeah. out of about 400 attendees. So it's a bunch of organizations looking to hire vets. So if you're interested in that, and then Admiral Stavitas in April, we're going to have a lunch in here and then a main speech event in the Atlanta History Center. I remember what we did with General Petraeus in November. And then because, there we go, 
because Kevin already highlighted that nonprofits only ask for money all the time. We do things a little bit different where we want to give a little bit of value attached to asking for any type of support for the organization. So Kevin has graciously donated the books that you see on the table over here. For anybody that's willing to give a small donation to ATO events this evening, you're going to walk away with a book and a beautiful holiday mug. Thanks to Hildy, who sells a beautiful swag for a living. We did a little bit of a fundraiser. One of the biggest things I've recognized, and I'm sure most veterans can uh, correlate with, is the holidays are a very difficult time for us. I wanted to make sure veterans were remembered during the holidays, so we created a, a holiday logo and a mug that we've been sending out to some of our partners and some of the, the folks that have supported ATO Vets and want to make sure we keep veterans in our thoughts for the holidays. If anybody's interested in supporting ATL Vets and grabbing a book, please scan the QR code, talk to Kevin, talk to myself, talk to Taylor, and we'll get you hooked up with not only some amazing books that are phenomenal and fiction-ish, but also a holiday mug before you get out of here. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Tactical Leader Podcast. If this episode helped you along your journey of self-mastery and has inspired you to do more, I challenge you to head over to myvoicechallenge.com so you can find out how you can discover your voice, claim your independence, and build that thriving business that you've always wanted. Again, that's myvoicechallenge.com.